We're going to release the raw footage. Look out. Yeah, <laughs> the Snyder <laughs> cut. Behind the scenes glimpse for our fans. <laughs> <laughs> release the Sully cut. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Goodwood, a hockey fandom podcast. This is episode six, Release the Soli Cut. As you might have gathered from our previous episode, we really, really like Mike Sullivan. We think he's a great coach. We think he's a silver fox. And in our heart of hearts, I think we'd all find it a little bit sexy to watch him finally gut a raft using one of Sidney Crosby's perpetually broken skate blades. To celebrate Soli's 300th win as head coach of the Penguins and his recent contract extension this summer, we're going to devote an entire episode to thinking about where Soli fits into the pantheon of Penn's coaches and why he's such a good fit for Sidney Crosby when so many other coaches, famously or infamously, haven't worked out. We're going to talk about the Penn's coaching history in the Sid Gino era, about Mike Sullivan's approach to coaching as a form of teaching, And finally, which players we would send to the Mike Sullivan Rehabilitation Center for spiritually broken NHL players. Full disclosure, we did record this episode before this week's disastrous West Coast road trip. We hope that our full-throated endorsement of Mike Sullivan as a teacher and a coach will rekindle your hope and uh, reassure you that he'll probably be able to get our guys back on track. We hope you enjoy. Let's talk about Mike Sullivan. Um, I mean, do we want to like talk about like some other general stuff that's happened or do we want to just go straight Jersey? Let's talk about penguins. And by penguins, we're talking about banana bread. We're talking about New Jersey's. And what else are we talking about? What else has happened? Lately? Animal noises. We're talking about so Catboy Chris the Tang. Sidney Crosby is a baker. And the season started five months ago. That's what it feels like. We've been in this for so long already. What I will say is I have a 100% in-game success rate at this point. Depends on every game I've been to in person. So either I need to buy season tickets immediately or I need to hide away in someone's luggage because I think I've got the ticket to success. It's not the team. It's not their coaching. It's my presence in that arena. So all you need to do is tell Sid and, you know, he'll cover for you. Free tickets for life, baby. Here we go. Yeah. (laughs) Unless he's got a different superstition now, you know, with the banana bread. I hope yeah, it's a tell superstition. Us, tell us about the banana bread kit. <laughs> Big developments on the on the Sydney Crosby Am I am I giving you that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, news? yeah. <laughs> so apparently Sid is baking and he's baking banana bread and he's bringing it to the team to share. So if if you want to get some of Sydney Crosby's banana bread, you better get drafted by the Pens. I don't know. Start training. What I found really amusing is this. I feel like sometimes like fandom lore, which this is not, this is like officially reported stuff, is how it's permeated various levels. Like I was on Reddit the other day. I like looking at the post-game threads, usually only when we've won, just because I'm a poor loser. But I was glancing through a couple of our post-game threads. The amount of people on there making jokes about the banana bread was, I was tickled by that because I was like, oh, we're joking about this on Tumblr. And the boys, uh, they're not all guys, but like... The Reddit dudes are joking about it too. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
the fandom is united over this one thing that transformative fans are like girl bossifying sit over it and the guys are having a having a good laugh so i was like oh how cute is that to me it's the opposite of girl boss it's like homemaker Sidney crosby you know i just love the image <laughs> of him in the kitchen like he's got some bananas that are starting to go off you know he's like what what am i gonna do with these just throw them out and then and then he gets out all his stuff he gets out his mixing bowls he gets out his ingredients and he makes banana bread <laughs> Well, here's the thing, though. Like, I will proudly proclaim that my family's banana bread recipe is the best banana bread recipe to ever banana bread. But I am convinced that Sid is making the same, like, gluten-free banana bread that Chef Joff made a couple of years ago. Do you remember that? The Penguins even released, like, a YouTube video yeah. of it. So I'm convinced that he's got, like, this dry-ass, crumbly banana bread that he has been eating <laughs> oh, no, nonstop. Don't ruin my image of Sid. For the last few years. Champion and he has just maker. brought it in and loafed. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and every lecture. single player has been like... This is amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I love this. Like, like choking down their crumbs, dry banana bread. <laughs> crumbs flying everywhere. Like, I love this so much. And you know they gotta choke that down every single game now. I actually love that even more. <laughs> yeah, him being a terrible baker. <laughs> yeah, and torturing his teammates. Yeah, yeah. I love to imagine him being bad. I, I love to imagine him being bad at things. It's my favorite thing. I love to see oh. him fail, you know? <laughs> Jess has a humiliation kink, but it's only for when Sidney <laughs> Crosby gets Sid. humiliated. Yeah, yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's for him. <laughs> okay, so banana bread has been a big development. Um, I Beck, I know you've been at a lot of the games, so you maybe <laughs> haven't heard Bob and Mirzi, like the, None. You know. I have gotten back to Tumblr, like, during every intermission, <laughs> and like, I've been so bamboozled. So I finally, like, listened to, like, a live broadcast the other night for an away game, and I was like, I don't think I got the full experience, just because I think they got a lot of their crazies out the first few games. And it's kind of regressed back to a median, but it sounded like there was a lot going on. See, I don't, I don't know either, because I can't listen to any of the games, so... uh Jess, you have to be the correspondent for that one because I have no idea what... Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll give a report from the front lines. Um, <laughs> so apparently Mirzi got married over the summer. Um, that's the big event that has happened in his life. And he has a new lease on life. He is like positively giddy in the commenter's booth. And so you know how like their usual dynamic is that Bob is the one who's like unhinged and Mirzi's the one who's always trying to be like, okay, well, here's what's happening on the ice, you know? But now it's like, he's so playful. He's like, he's very funny. He keeps making little jokes and and like laughing at his jokes they're flirting with dan potash like crazy like it's just a beautiful thing to see mirzi just really letting his hair down just living his life and i don't know i hope i hope it lasts i hope it doesn't regress back to the standard you know standard dynamic because it's been quite enjoyable i think dan potash is having like a secret hot bitch season because you know he's <laughs> getting the players to make animal noises he's like i don't give a shit he, it's he has Gino's fan. undying love because, as we all know, yes. Gino came back to the Penguins not for Sidney Crosby nor for his team, but for Dan Potash. Didn't he say, like, I love you, Potash? Like, see you next year. Several times. <laughs> yeah. So he made a promise, you know, and he followed through. Yeah, It's not about Sid at all. So that's been very enjoyable for me. Well, moving on from just Penguins news, there is something new for the whole league, which, aside from everyone's horrible ads on their jerseys, they're getting new jerseys again. Yeah, we got reverse retros, everyone. And you know who's back? RoboPen. I love that little guy. I so love that little guy. 
I've been really enchanted by how many of the beat reporters specifically are so into it. And it's been really interesting seeing that specific brand of like, I guess it's millennial nostalgia. Maybe it's Gen X who they're so obsessed with it because that was their childhood logo for the Penguins when they were growing up and experiencing it for the first time. So I've been kind of endeared just to see all of these media level adults being so excited about seeing something kind of resurge from their childhood. So that's been really fun for me. I love RoboPen. I I have a lot of merch with RoboPen on it because I I think it's just so neat looking for a logo. It took me a while to warm up to the current Penguins logo because it does look a a bit cartoonish, you know, like that. Why is he so buff? I've never understood that. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. (laughs) He's buff and I don't like that. But then I saw the Wilkes-Barre penguin and I'm like, well, thank God. Oh, it's even worse. Yeah. That's terrifying. But yeah, it's like cartoonish and it's it's like this buff penguin is like angrily, determinedly skating. I I've warmed up to him by now, but I think the Robo Pen is just so like adult, like sleek, cool. And I just love that logo. Well, if you love Robo Pen so much, does that mean that's your favorite reverse retro? I thought you were gonna say if you love Robo Pen so much, why don't you Yeah, marry why don't you marry him? <laughs> you are so childish. <laughs> no. I mean you're welcome to, but no, um, is it your favorite one of the reverse retros or no? It's actually not. I really like it. I think it's one of my favorite Penn's jerseys just of all time, probably. I don't think it's like super creative or out there. So some of the other ones are just slightly above it. But I think it's a it's a great jersey. Like I'm I'm really happy with it. Don't get me wrong. Pick your favorite then. I want to hear. I have to say it's probably Vegas just because I've seen what it looks like in the dark, you know, the glow in the dark stars. And I think that is so cool. I think that's such a fun idea. I'd love to see more stuff than that. Obviously, it's got glitter on it, like the gold part. I just love that. I think the font is really fun, but the glow in the dark really got me. What about you, Jess? Ooh, okay. Well, I kind of like, I don't think this is like the best design, but just in terms of my favorite, is I really like the Bruins one. I like anything with an animal on it, you know, which is also why I like the pens one. <laughs> I just like that it's just a picture of a brown bear, you know, that's really nice to me. But, my one note for yeah. that would be, it would be even better if it was just like a photorealistic bear yeah, head. Yeah. <laughs> just an image of a bear. like a We have the technology. Why yeah, are we not we doing do it? This. Yeah. And then I like the caps. Like, I love the Screaming Eagle logo. I just don't like the design of the reverse retro jersey. Something about the band at the bottom I don't like. It pains me to say this. Like, it's it's a knife to my heart. But I, I love the caps jersey. No, me too, Kit. That's my, that's my answer for my favorite jersey out of all of them. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. And I, I just think it's such a cool jersey. And I like that it does feel retro i think that's really cool i think that's something that's missing a little bit with the robo penguin is because it is so sleek that i think it's a very sexy design looks great love it but it's not giving retro and my like top answers for my favorite jerseys are the caps and the lightning because like look at the bolts it's so corny it's perfect it, it's like it's doing what it's supposed to do it feels retro um i like the panthers one too the colors are so bright and vibrant that i think it looks great so you know, I think, is it peak design? Maybe not, but it is iconic. And I think that's when they win points for me, for sure. You know, that's and- what I think about the Oilers. Because I think to me, the Oilers jersey, like, 
does it look great no but what it looks like is you know like the bad guys from like a kids hockey movie like like the bad i don't i've never seen the mighty ducks but there's probably like a bad guys like bully hockey team in it and that's what i imagine they would wear like a space jam evil alien hockey team i can see it can i ask you which your least favorites are i want some (laughs) drama this is easy this is easy like have you seen yeah so I Go really ahead. dislike the Chicago one. I think the Canes one is ugly too. And I am not regrettably a fan of the Sharks. And as for the Canes and the Chicago jersey, they're just way too plain for me. And I don't find them visually interesting. I feel like I'm the only person in the world that like genuinely likes a Chicago reverse retro. <laughs> I like it. I, it reminds me of like 1920s hockey jerseys like it's so so old school and obviously anything is an improvement from like their normal jerseys so maybe that's kind of like swaying my opinion a bit but I just think I don't know I think it's a fun idea to go like old school old school oh also um how do we feel about the the predators new logo (laughs) I keep looking at it and I I can't decide that it makes me laugh the tiny Nashville font like the tiny Nashville font just cracks me up I hate it but it makes me laugh, so I also love Graphic it. Graphic design is my passion. Exactly. Well, we love how the teams look, but how do they feel deep in their hearts about their coaching staff? Because that's what we want to talk about today. <laughs> smooth. <laughs> seamless transition. Smooth. So smooth transition you've ever seen, baby. Yeah. Wow. Smooth like ice. Ooh, well, let's talk a little bit about right why, we're, why we're talking about it. Because I feel like, so if you read The Athletic, um, Yohi just had a long article about Sully where he interviewed all the players and kind of around, right? Did Sully just get extended in the summer? Is that right? He did get his extension, yes. Okay. So he just got a contract extension and then it was a long, loving article (laughs) about how much the boys love Sully. (laughs) How beautiful it is when he speaks to them, you know, the Jake Gensel quote. His Um, dolce tones, his smooth voice. as, As fandom has kind of embraced our aging core and leaned into like Sidney Crosby's gray hair and Gino making jokes about them being old men. I think the fandom has very much publicly opened their hearts to thirsting after silver foxes. Of <laughs> We're which more open Mike to Sullivan <laughs> is one of them, right? <laughs> and so I think like the fandom has been particularly feral for Sully for like the last season or two, you know? I love the idea that we've opened our hearts to old men because now we have these old men who we love. <laughs> so we're like, what What other old men are out there? You know? <laughs> oh, look, there's one behind the bench threatening a ref, you know, as he does and chomping his gum. I love when he's just smiling and you can see in his, in his eyes that he wants to kill a man. <laughs> but he's just smiling. Well, I'm like, I think of you, Jess, as one of Sully's most ardent appreciators just because you kind of do a running bit about him on your blog. <laughs> I love him. Um, <laughs> But you're very unabashed about it. And like part of that is like the philosophy behind what he does on the bench and how you connect to that as an educator, which we will talk about. But part of it is also you really get a kick out of him as a character within the hockey universe, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love the way he is behind the bench. And then obviously, I just love the way he talks about the players, the way he talks about teaching. Um, I just think he's a really, really good coach. And then I think he's funny to imagine as a character in that universe. Well, if we're talking about the broader hockey universe i would love to talk a little bit more about how we got to sully just because this is not something i'm very well versed in by the time i was a penguins fan sully was already he had been the coach for a full season so all of this is like research or articles i've read and like kind of pieced together and also part fandom perception i've always been kind of interested by how 
older writers will write in like Bilesma. Usually you see like you don't see a lot of Terry and you see mostly like Bilesma. You don't see Johnston so much. So part of it has been me trying to like figure out and like parse a little bit of the fandom bits out of the facts that have been reported. And even the reporting, how legit is it? Because a lot of it is rumors. None of these guys like talking upfront about like what made a locker room breakdown or what made a team turn on their coach. So it's been kind of interesting for me to try and yeah, what made, what made Sid decide on. to kill the coach, you know, as we all know, <laughs> coach killer. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, that's something I was thinking about as I was do- looking into this. And I was like, I feel like I can kind of pick out the point where that happens. And he becomes someone who is like willing to do that. And I think it's very interesting. But we got to go all the way back oh, to 2003. So this is our foray into true crime. I see how it is. <laughs> oh, no. We've Solving the mystery. <laughs> how and why Sidney Crosby killed each coach. <laughs> We actually have to start with, um, go all the way back to 2003 with Eddie Olchek. So he arrived to Pittsburgh 2003 season when the Penguins were in shambles. So they dumped millions in payroll because they were broke and they didn't even have like a clear starting goalie. They had a bunch of super old players and a bunch of super young players as well. And they were just a mess. So like even the team branding was horrible. This, this was the infamous X generation. So team had an identity crisis and who do they bring in but this guy with zero coaching experience? So Olchek was a player and a broadcaster. He had never coached a team before he got this gig. And I think that just speaks to how broke so the Penguins Bob are. could become a coach? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'd love to see oh, that. Oh, yes. <laughs> Anything is possible when a team is desperate and has no money. He would teach them witchcraft, you know? He wouldn't feel good oh. about it. But he would be like, this is what I've seen Sidney Crosby do it. <laughs> we have to learn magic. Coach Potash. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds like Jess's worst nightmare. <laughs> I just think Botash should like learn how to ask better questions. But this year he's been really on the, you know, the animal noises. I don't know. He's I'm coming around. Okay, sorry. Back. Carry on. <laughs> no, you're good. So yeah, this guy had zero coaching experience and it showed. Things were not going great for the team in general. Like Mario had like his failed comeback. You know, he just kept getting injured. And then so Sid shows up and the Penguins lose their first nine games, which is not What's supposed to happen when the most celebrated rookie ever comes onto your team? You know, like you expect better. And like Mario is still playing at this point. So they lose their first nine games. It's one of the worst starts in franchise history. And so on December 15th, three months into Sid's NHL career, he experiences his first coaching change when the Pens fire Olchek and then hire Michelle Tarian instead. Ooh. So is he, okay, on the true crime angle, is he innocent of coach killing in this case? Or he's just you could a baby. say he's got very poor trigger control and like couldn't wait longer than three months <laughs> to already. Get or maybe rid of the that first was guy. like his first taste of blood, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He saw the power he could have, you know? There you go. Exactly. Well, he, no, I think maybe it was just pure, it was a crime of passion. He lost nine games in a row. Who does that? Yeah. Yeah. Not and when you're young, me. you know, you don't have great impulse control. Like exactly. <laughs> you just kill a coach, you know, you got to do 18. it. <laughs> so they bring in Michelle Tarian, who has more success, I would say. So Tarian lasts from 2005 to 2009. And he was brought in to effectively discipline the team. The pens were criticized for being lazy, that they didn't have good work habits and that they didn't have a system. The no discipline penguins? Who are yeah, those people? Yeah. I wonder if they even love to practice, you know, like were they totally different than they are now? 
Well, if you, I, I know we're kind of playfully joking, but I think it's worth like investigating seriously when you think about like the the rumors about what being a rookie was like for Sid and how he had zero control over the room at that age. And there was a lot of contention between him and the older guy specifically. So it does make sense, doesn't it? My impression of him from Thick is that he's a hard ass. Is that accurate? Yes, very much. So there was a very infamous interview he did after a very bad loss where he hung out the team to dry to the media. He called them soft. He was very rude. And the next, when he was interviewed about it, he said, I didn't try to be the good guy the next day I came in. That was the direction I decided to go in and change their focus to change their attitude. But, he said, for the first time, they showed character after I did that. That's when I said to the other coaches, now we can build off of something. So he came in, he was like, I'm not fucking with you. You are going to do my system and you're going to play my rules and we're going to make it work. And the thing is, is it did work for a while, which is interesting. So he was let go due to poor team performance, but he got them to the Stanley Cup Finals His last full season with the Pens was the one where they lost against Detroit in the Stanley Cup final. And then the next season, they won the Cup, right? And a lot of the players credited Tarion for hardening them to the point where they could become champions. And they were still kind of very much ideologically, I would say, Tarion's team when they won that Cup. But when they won that Cup, they were under the coaching of Dan Bilesma instead. So this is the other Dan. He lasted from 2009 to 2014, and he's also the one that we see most commonly in fan works from the pre-Mike Sullivan era. He had coaching experience. He was the AHL affiliate coach at the time, and he got promoted as interim coach, but then he got made full-time coach eventually, which is the same path that Mike Sullivan would follow later. Bilesma and the GM at the time, who was Ray Shero, really like lauded Tarion. Like even though they had let him go, um, they said that his like defensive prowess was really ingrained into the team in a way that Bilesma just like rolled with it and kept it going. Shero credited Tarion for changing the culture and said that he had a way to get everyone moving in the same direction. So him being a hard ass in like the early years, immediately after Olchek got fired, I think had a big part to play in like shaping a team that was very young at the time. Like you think of like that was like Sid, Flower, Stahl, a lot of young guys who I think needed that kind of domineering coaching presence in the room. But um, Bilesma wanted to have his own kind of impact on the team. And he also wanted to be able to impact the culture, but I think he looked to the wrong inspiration to do it because the pens got really aggressive under him. It was physical and it tanked their reputation around the league, basically. So like all the players, including Sid, were engaging in really rough behavior on the ice and um, it hurt our offense and we just lacked discipline again. It was like they kind of tipped over the scale of like, oh, you were soft, well, Terry and toughened you up, but now you're overreacting to that, and now you're getting into stupid fights and shit like that. And it does not escape me that this style was very much a, like, broad street bullies kind of style. The Pens couldn't pull it off while still being a good hockey team, but the Flyers could. And I think that's why the rivalry during the Bilesman years was so engaging and ridiculous, because the Pens were trying to, like, play act at being the Flyers, and it made us suck at hockey. Because that's not the team that we were like built to do, even though that's what Bilesmo was. Yeah, we're nerds, you know. We weren't made. We weren't meant to be bullies. <laughs> no, we're a chess club masquerading as a hockey team. Um, it also occurs to me that 
this is the time period where Sid's concussion troubles happen. And I don't want to come off as saying that he asked for trouble in any capacity or that he's responsible for his injuries. But I do find it interesting that when the Penguins were playing really hard physical hockey is when Sid suffered a catastrophic injury. Oh my gosh. So this coach killed him. (laughs) This is a different kind of crime. (laughs) It was self-defense. Well, Sid got his final revenge, though, because by 2014, reports were flying around that Bilesma had lost the room. It was all over. So Sid denied this, of course, as he would to the media. But um, there were plenty of people saying that both Sid and Gino were really unhappy with Bilesma because they felt like they were getting a lot of harsh criticism from him in all these meetings that Bilesma was having. So Bilesma was kind of infamous for having way too many meetings and really long practices. I'm just imagining Sid, like, (laughs) Sid, like... Oh, Dan Balsma, my best friend, Dan Balsma. <laughs> Whereas Gino's like, this could have been an email. You know, yes. he's like, fuck this guy. <laughs> he's a union man. He wants to be- get compensated and you're wasting his valuable hours on the clock. But um, the whole it wasn't just Sid and Gino, though. It was the whole team. They were not having fun, I think. And personally, I don't think Bilesma's message resonated really well with the stars, mostly because he was not utilizing them properly. Like he was not giving them focus and time to be in the offensive zone and go be star players. That's why they were getting into stupid fights all the time. So hilariously, to make the team so much more fun, they fire Bilesma and bring on Mike Johnston, who lasted 18 months. And his whole selling point was that he wanted to get away from aggression and focus on puck possession. And so Sid Gino could be in the offensive zone, but that flopped so bad. Sid had 19 points in the first 28 games that season, and he was on the pace for the worst season of his career. And Rutherford had this hilarious quote. So our G- that's when we got a new GM, too. So we had Rutherford instead of Shiro as our GM. And Rutherford said that the team respected Johnston for the most part. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds like a great dynamic you have with your super fun new coach. He was not fun at all. He seemed incredibly dull. The team sucked, and they were just like, okay, you know what? 18 months, you're out. Get out of here. And that was also when Sid was having his quarter life crisis. Do you guys remember that? No. Tell us more. Okay. So there was this hilarious Sports Illustrated article that came out at the beginning of the 2016-2017 season. This is right after the Penguins had won the Cup under Mike Sullivan's coaching in 2016 and um absolutely this was like ghost written like there's no way Sid's writing a first person article that's like this long for sports <laughs> illustrated like don't like this is not these Wait, are not so it's like words. in Sid's voice it's like Sid being yeah like, I, yeah no okay. my um, perfect summer <laughs> yes um I'll hand this to you guys later so you can read it and we can also link it in our show notes it's this article that comes out that's from Sid's point of view talking about him experiencing a lot of self-doubt And he was like, I didn't know if I could do it. I felt horrible during the 2016, no, 2015, 2016 season at the beginning. Like things were not going well. You know, you were right to doubt me. I doubted myself. And like, how could this get better kind of a thing? And later on, as like more Sid think pieces and articles emerged after the repeat the next season, we kind of got that insight into the fact that Sid had been experiencing a quarter life crisis at that point. And he was kind of, he had kind of been freaking out about like, getting older he had hit his he was in his late mid-20s at that point and he hadn't won another cup and he had he was freaking out basically is what everyone was saying and while i'm absolutely again i'm absolutely positive some writer ghost wrote that for sid there's a phrase that kept coming up in that article which was written after the coaching change and what was that phrase just play 
It was used like four times in the article. And so I know that when that writer did that interview with Sid to write that article, Sid said that. And why did he say that? Because that is Sully's favorite phrase. You are linking is- together like all the threads on the on the board right now. I'm, I'm loving this. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to do for myself because I wanted to kind of build the the story of the coaching in Pittsburgh and like why why it happened the way it did. And to me, that was kind of like the final nail, like sliding in to join everything together because knowing that Sid had been freaking out about like mortality at age like 26 or whatever, you know, in 2015. And then he got another coaching change after being incredibly bogged down and not performing well after having life change, almost life, well, they were life changing injuries with the concussions. He recovered, but he lost a year and change of his career to it. So he was in turmoil. And this was during the like Sidney Crosby's overrated. He's past the baton era. And he was feeling it very evidently, self-admitted to the media, to his friends. And finally, they kick Johnston out of there because he's not doing jack. And Sid isn't performing. Gino isn't performing. No one is. And then they bring up their AHL coach to see if this one will work. And that AHL coach that they bring in is Mike Just Play Sullivan. I'm imagining, I'm imagining Sid is like, you know, like recently divorced and he's like at a pottery class and there's this new instructor. (laughs) Their eyes meet across the wheel. Yeah. And then well, we all know what happens. They win two cups and they, they fall in love. They've they, been happily married yeah. ever since. So yeah, that, that's a brief history of how we got to Mike Sullivan. I love it. I love it. I'm so interested in, in what it actually looks like when a coach loses the room. You know, like what does that actually look like? They keep saying that phrase, you know, like the coach lost the room. But what does that mean? I'm so interested in that. Do you guys remember that iconic quote where it's like it's about Sid and Gino and it's like they increasingly came to believe that they were the only ones to have each other's backs yeah it's romance peak romance right <laughs> right and so like that that was it too like that was during like those years and that was partially about the team as well like team strife and discord but that has to be awful to be like the coach and you're coaching some of the most famous athletes of their generation, some of the most talented ever, period. And it's like, okay, so not only do you have to wrangle this, you have to deal with them as people, you have to deal with their egos, you have to deal with their talent and execute. And then you have to get results because everyone's expecting that these top tier caliber players are going to be getting the results that they want. And in some cases they are paying for. And I have to imagine that's just like, I don't know, I could never hack it as a coach for many reasons. I don't think I'm naturally inclined to be one, but the pressure is intense. So I think that's why the players are so quiet about the whole losing the room situation for the most part, at least the Penguins are. Because that is, it has to be like emotionally devastating. Yeah. And, and Kit, you teach too, right? Yeah. I always imagine that it's like when you've lost a classroom, right? Or you've kind of lost control of a lesson or something. And like when you can see people sort of checking out and they're not engaging or that you can tell that they're not really buying into the thing that you're trying to do. And like, yeah. And that's like such a bad feeling, you know, because it's hard to know how to course correct in the moment. And like, yeah, and sometimes you can't. I feel like with teaching, you usually don't get like fired from it. You know, you have to figure out like a way to get it back on track. It's like but, you get fired, yeah. but you immediately get hired by another school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I imagine with coaching, it's kind of the same thing. Like people stop buying into the ideology or whatever that you're trying to get them on board for. 
I think that coaches can be scapegoated too, though. Like, if things aren't working on the team, they'll fire the coach because that's, like, a tangible change. They can show, like, the team's brass and the fans and be like, hey, look, we know shit's going off the wall. So here, we got rid of that guy. We're going to bring someone new in. But I don't think that's always done with the utmost care or responsibility towards the room. And, you know, that doesn't mean that all the issues within the room are going to be fixed just because you brought someone new in. Yeah, but it probably does sometimes help to get kind of a new perspective on – I mean, it definitely seems like solely like transformed that team, you know? Oh, my God, yeah. Um, and had a huge effect. To me, it's fascinating how Sully also so much kind of encapsulates and has shaped the Penguins the way that I think a lot of fandom sees them now, you know? Like, the Penguins, the way they are now, their identity is so much a product of Sully's teaching. And that is just mind-blowing to me to think about. Like, they are Sully's monster. And I think they have the legacy to do that. He was the AHL coach. And a really integral part of the 2016 and 2017 Cups were all the guys that we plucked out of the AHL. And we're like, ta-da, look at this, the shiny new toy for Sidney Crosby to have on his wing brian connor jake etc like we're yanking these guys up and a lot of these guys have experience with sully in the ahl so sully has seen their progression through the minor leagues and is able to help translate that to the nhl level which he was evidently capable of doing which is really a testament to his coaching yeah and i think it's crazy to me to think about how like we were talking about this a little bit before we started but like just how unbelievably well his philosophy of coaching meshes with the way that Sid seems to think about practice and improvement and learning. I really think they were like made for each other. You know, like Sid was made to be coached by Sully. Sully was made to coach Sidney Crosby. And then like the way that that, you know, that the articles talk so much and the players talk so much about how Sid sets the example that trickles down to everybody else in the locker room. Like people model themselves off of the way that he practices and so if you have somebody like that who's so aligned with and in tune with the coach's philosophy, and then he's the guy that everybody in the room follows and looks to, yeah, it's just really remarkable, like the, um, uh, that like beautiful relationship between Sid and Sully and how that shaped the Penn's identity as a team. Give us your shit manifesto, Joss. I want to hear it. My shit manifesto. Why, why does Sully's philosophy work for Sid? Yeah, well, okay, so I think the number one thing about Sully that I really like about him as a coach is that he, like, sees himself as a teacher, first and foremost. I, I'll link to this long lecture that he gave on player development, but that's what he says. He says, coaches are teachers, and so we have to think about what we're doing as teaching and as developing skills and the character of the people that we're working with. And I think that he is really interested in, like, how people learn and how people improve, and he has a mindset that's very focused. Like, his mindset is very much that anybody can improve, and people can improve much further than, like, they might think, right? That, like, Skill isn't innate, um, but that it's learned through practice and through structured practice and feedback and getting better. And I feel like that is just so aligned with the way that Sid thinks about his own improvement. Like you see how Sid, like Sid just like seems like somebody who does not believe at all that talent is just inborn, you know? <laughs> The way that he'll break down if he's struggling with a thing, the way that he'll break it down into tiny component pieces and drill each one in a million different ways and then string those together and then like practice it a million times and then like always be pushing himself to try a slightly harder version or a slightly more complex version or a slightly more unpredictable um, situation to apply that skill in. They both really understand that science of learning and 
And I don't know if Sid is versed in that research at all, you know, like if that's something that he reads about or if that's something that's just come through the way that he's been coached. But Soli definitely has read that stuff. And I think it's just really cool, like how well that idea about like improvement and how you get better, like how well that fits together for them. I don't know. I, I could go on for a million years about how Soli teaches. Please do. do go on. This is very interesting. Yeah. So, um, and I think too, the other, like what I would say, add to that is like this idea, this mindset towards improvement, it's focused on like incremental improvement. So like I was reading this interview with Soli and he was saying one of the things that he always tells players, and I think you hear this echoed in the way that players talk to the media is that you come to the rink and you try to get a little bit better every day. So it's not this idea of there's like a huge jump you have to make or that some people are cut out to be superstars and some people are never going to cut it at the NHL level or whatever, right? It's like you start from where you are and you always focus on getting a little bit better each day. And I think that's like really, I don't know, that feels like very Sidney Crosby to me, that interest in like continual incremental self-improvement, like putting in the hard work of, of getting better. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I, I think too, like, I guess what I like about that is like people around the NHL joke about like the Mark Donk effect, but like the Mark Donks don't come from nowhere. You know, it's not like we just have like an unusually high concentration of good players who've never been recognized, right? Who are toiling in the AHL or whatever. Like they're produced by like the Sullivan coaching system. So the reason that guys will come here when they're kind of slumping or people think they're past their prime or whatever, and then perform like way, way beyond expectations is because of the way that Sully teaches and coaches and develops players. Um, and that's why we get somebody like Brian Rust or somebody or people who other people would have written off. But, you know, Brian Rust is kind of like the product of Mike Sullivan from the AHL to present. I love that. Mike Sullivan, maker of donks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess the other thing I really like about him is he has this really practical understanding of how people learn that is is really actually grounded in like like research on how like this, the neuroscience of skill acquisition. So he's bringing that. And I feel like that's a perspective that maybe is becoming more common in the NHL, but is is pretty unusual, I think, still, um, or pretty uncommon. So he has that. But then he also just has this really strong emphasis on like kind of relationship building. And that's what the Yohi article really focused on was the way that he gets to know the players as people and builds a relationship with them as people. And I think that's pretty rare in like, I mean, I think that reflects the way that he thinks of himself as a teacher and not just like a coach managing a team. But I think it also really makes a difference. And I feel like the pins would die for him, you know, <laughs> like they love him. And I think that's because he like sees part of his job as developing them as people and developing a relationship with them as people and explaining to them why. Like there was a quote in one of the articles I read when Matt Murray was pulled um, in favor of Flower in one of the playoff rounds. And he said that Soli sat him down in his office, talked through what he was seeing, told him like why he was making this decision, told him that it wasn't a reflection, you know, it wasn't like doubt, but there were reasons that they were making this choice. And Matt Murray was like, most coaches just tell you what to do. And then you're expected to just fall in line. But he sits you down. He explains to you. He asks if you have questions. He like really like makes an attempt to help you understand the why of his decision making. And I feel like that just speaks to the respect that he has for the players as people, that he sees them not just as cogs in this machine of a profitable hockey team or whatever, but he sees himself as having like a responsibility to them as human beings too. And that's why I love him. <laughs> that's my pitch. Some <laughs> Something that I find really interesting about 
his relationships with the stars on the team, which are so hush-hush and so mum. They don't give us anything like to the point where the media is like the secret behind doors relationship between Crosby and Sullivan, and it sounds all salacious, is that it kind of I, – I don't just think that Sully is the perfect coach for Sid. I agree 100% that they are so well aligned. I also think that Sully has gotten the best version of Sidney Crosby as a player. And I don't just mean on the ice. I also mean in the locker room. I don't think that was true when he first started, but I think it's certainly true now. Like you hear so much about how settled Sid is after he got the repeat cups and how he's kind of blossomed a little bit and kind of let go and like learned to enjoy life a little bit more. And I think that Sully is getting a version of Sid that has not been seen by other coaches. And I don't mean to make that sound like like, I'm very curious what Sully would have done with 18-year-old Phenom Sid. If he could have found a way to get him that first cup sooner, if he could have found a way to mature him a bit faster, I don't know. But I also just think that handling a star of Sid's caliber is something that is incredibly difficult to do and something that I find other coaches on this team have kind of struggled with. There was this one quote from Bilesma about it where he talked about kind of being starstruck almost and not knowing what he could teach Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Like, what can I do? You know, they're superstars. And that seemed like such, it seemed like a very human reaction, but I also think it's the wrong one when it comes to approaching Sid and Gino as a coach. And I think Sully has been able to strike that kind of extremely respectful but also extremely grounded approach in how he deals with the team stars and in return it's gotten him a lot of respect and like yeah it's helped that Sid is in his 30s now and like apparently really good at being a human at this point in his life but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Sully knows how to talk to these guys in a way that's extremely difficult for I think almost anyone. And I feel like, too, with Sid, he's just so – who knows if he's smart, like, you know, in, in other areas of his life, but he's so hockey smart, you know, and, like, so smart, too, about his own improvement and growth and development that it must take, like, a really confident, steady hand to earn his respect and then also coach him in a way that respects, like, the intelligence that he brings to his own improvement. You know what I mean? Like – And I just think that kind of Matt Murray quote about how solely like other coaches tell you what to do and expect you to do it and solely wants you to understand the rationale behind what you're doing. I feel like that would really resonate with Sid and with the, you know, that high hockey IQ, right, that everyone talks about. Another thing in that um, I watched that long lecture on player development that he gave. And one of the things that he talks about is that he says like a lot of coaches will just focus on like running these mindless drills or telling the team what to do or whatever. And his philosophy is really grounded in like the core thing that you're trying to do is trying to cultivate their critical thinking and decision making skills. So it's not just teaching them like rote systems to do or whatever. You're trying to help them understand the why so that they can look at the situation on the ice. They can assess what's happening. They can decide what they're going to do and they can act on it without needing the coach to always be telling them like how to respond in a specific situation and sometimes they make mistakes and then he wants them to learn how to understand the mistake and course correct the next time around and I just feel like that again like is really aligned with the way that Sid seems to think about like improvement and um but also like really respects like the intelligence of the player right (laughs) which you know I don't know how smart most hockey players are but it just seems like that focus on like developing their ability to make decisions is different than the way a lot of coaches operate in in relation to their players 
I do think it, it's interesting to compare him to other coaches in the NHL because I think a lot of coaches, I mean, you have to remember the kind of systems that teaching systems, educational settings that those players come from, from, you know, their juniors careers, you know, like the kind of coaching that they're used to. And I think a lot of that from what I've read is very much, you know, that super hierarchical, you tell them what to do, and it's not it's not their place to question it or understand it. It's It's their job to do it. And I think Sometimes, you know, the, that kind of approach can have like a, a short term effect like it had on on the pens, like what Beck said, you know, like if you tell them to the media that they're shit, it might for a short time really spur them on, you know, like some players will want to prove you wrong. But I think long term, it's just demoralizing. And I, I think that Sully has, you know, Sully having the science on his side really helps him to build that long term success which is why I think you know he's still the coach after a pretty long time when you compare him I would I just had to pull up this quote from the Flyers coach from I think just before uh, the season started so John Tortorella was asked by the media if, if he has found something that the Flyers are good at and can build on and his answer was no so you know like that might spur you on for a bit and the Flyers are doing really well right now thanks to the unending support of their biggest fan back i suppose but uh <laughs> who wanted the rivalry to recover so they're doing really well right hurt. now and also also for the record when i started seeing the flyers winning all these games i changed my mind like, stop it yeah but stop. so you know like it works for a short time but i think that's also one of the reasons why you know these coaches are so short-lived their contracts that they keep getting fired it's first of all i mean teams go through ups and downs it's just natural that's just how it works but also a lot of their strategies just don't work in the long term and i think sully really has like a different kind of teaching technique that is based on the science on and based on you know pedagogical research and it works for him and it works for our team would you guys like to hear about the players it has not worked out with sure yeah just because like i agree i love sully as a coach but i think i'm so interested when like players and coaches don't get along but i'm so curious and especially with a guy like sully who has the room evidently and he has the stars on his side I'm always so curious when you do hear about a guy not getting along with him. Um, yeah, ooh, can we also at some point talk about Gino? Like that rough year that Gino had when that, he and Sully that, were... He, yeah. he is my final oh, example. okay, okay. Yes. All right. We may need to put a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode because unfortunately the first player I'm talking about is Ian Cole, who just had the anonymous like Twitter leak that the league looked into and then brushed off. So Ian Cole had a rough go with Sully from the jump, it appears. So he started with the team uh, in 2015, and he was a healthy scratch for 11 consecutive games that season. He was only brought back into the lineup when Ben Lovejoy was injured and they had to bring someone up. And then in November 2017, so later, Sully sat Cole as a healthy scratch for three games again. And when the media asked about it, Sully said that he had had discussions with Cole about how he can improve his game. And that was all he said. But then he got snappy with the reporters. He said, 
I think sometimes you guys make it up as you go. I don't know where this stuff comes from. Ian Cole is part of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's part of our team. He's a valuable piece. He's an important part of our hockey team. Just because a player comes out of the lineup doesn't mean we don't value what he brings. So he was like not having it. Despite that like defense, the media knew that something was off between him and Ian Cole. People were were well aware that Sully didn't like how chummy Cole was with the media. Cole was incredibly popular with all the beat reporters, and Sully didn't like that so much so that Cole was temporarily banned from speaking to the media late in the 2016-2017 season. And his teammates were confused, too, because they didn't know why he was being scratched. Um, In the 2017-2018 season, the season started a little roughly, but not poorly enough for Cole specifically to be benched. So he got sat for another three games. But then by February of 2018, it was over. Cole had asked management to stay. He wanted to sign another contract in Pittsburgh, but they traded him. And I'm 100% sure that was because they chose Sully, because Sully and Cole did not get along. Fascinating. Yeah. That was really interesting to me because that was one case of one strong personality not getting along with Sully. And then my second example is Phil Kessel. There's a great quote from Sully where he said, and this is after Phil had been traded, Sully was asked about him and he said, Phil's always been a strong personality. Let's just say that Phil has strong convictions on how he feels the game should be played, on how he thinks he should be played and utilized in certain situations. Sometimes we were in agreement and other times we weren't. That's part of what makes Phil the player that he is. So like very neutral, pretty nice now that Phil was out of his hair, but it was not working. And something about Phil was he was never going to be a penguin for life, but the end of his time did sour. Things got messier than they should have. And a big part of that was his relationship with Gino. Phil's personality was a novelty at first, both for the media and for the players, I think, because he was so like unbothered and, you know, kind of flat delivery and stuff like that. But I also don't think he fit Sully's system well. And I don't think his, he had the personality to work with Sid or Gino long term. And Phil's ego and his desire to chase individual accomplishments, which like is understandable, but it stopped working because it impacted Gino in particular because his relationship with Phil broke down, as it's rumored, because he felt like the middle of the man between Phil, who was his friend outside the rank, and Sully, who Gino respected. And Phil and Sully weren't getting along because Phil is going to do as Phil is going to do. And thus, Gino felt caught because he was literally on Phil's line and also, you know, Sully had his ear. So Phil kind of solved that problem himself because, again, he was not meant to be with the Penguins for forever. But that was a very clear personality and ego mismatch that worked well for the Cups but was never going to work long term. That's very interesting, like the two different reasons, like with Ian Cole that it seems like I mean, Sully does seem to really be very careful about what he says to the media and how he like talks about the team or the players, you know, like it seems like he really chooses his words carefully. And I can imagine that he would not like that, you know, and I think Sid shares that, right? Like that sense of what happens in the locker room doesn't need to be in the media, you know? And then like Phil Kessel being sort of like resistant to that type of coaching or or set in his ways in a particular way of playing or I don't know. It's just interesting to think about why they didn't work out. That leads me to the last player I want to talk about, which is Gino. So Gino got really caught up in the Phil Sully drama, but he had his own shit going on. And I specifically want to talk about the Gino from the 2018-2019 season, his bad season, because we talk about how Sid was going through like his quarter-life crisis during his mid to late 20s and how that impacted his play and his relationship with his coaches at the time. But I think the 18-19 season was that for Gino, except he had it all under 
Sully's tenure, right? And he admitted in an article with Rossi to fighting with Sully. He said, I think my head starts like getting crazy. I fight with Sully. I fight with teammates. A little bit upset at everyone. And he said that he fought with... so good, by the way. Isn't it? That's like, it really yeah, is. Rossi's greatest work. <laughs> um, and Gino says that he fought with Sully mostly about ice time because Sully did not trust him to play the 20 minutes that he wanted. Um, he didn't trust Gino's decision-making skills and he didn't trust gino as a player which is like hard to swallow again like gino is a great he's very good at what he does and to lose the confidence of your coach has to be incredibly difficult and knowing that it's true gino was not himself that season so in summer 2019 sully asked gmjr about visiting gino during the offseason and apparently gino also wanted that to happen he wanted to clear the air with sully uh, so in July, they met in Florida and Sully kept the contents of their conversation very private. And all he said was, there are specifics of the conversation that I'll keep between Gino and I. But certainly we're very much on the same page about how we're going to go moving forward and how Gino can help this team win. And Sully also admitted that the team chemistry was off during the 2018-2019 season. He said that the team the season before, by which he means the 18-19 season, didn't come together as well as they should have. It's not any one person's fault or two people's fault. Like I said, it's the responsibility of everyone involved to make a positive contribution in that regard. So it looked like after the 2018-2019 season where both Gino struggled and the team struggled, that it was on both of their minds. And they met together and talked about it because they knew it was important to them to like reconcile and figure out how to move the team forward in like partnership, which I feel like speaks to how Sully thinks of Gino because I think you know like again we all know that Gino is like self-conscious about his communication so the fact that Sully was like I need to go talk to Gino and clear the air and make things right with my number two star says a lot about what he thinks of Gino and what he thinks he needs to do to keep relationships good it reminds me of that I can't remember if it was Brian Roster Brian Dumoulin but like in the Yohi article the recent one um, they were talking about how like Sully just seems to be really good at knowing what each player needs. So like he communicates differently with Sid than he does with Gino, than he does with Latang or whatever. And I feel like that does come from that ability to, or first of all, it comes from having a good relationship with the player and knowing them well enough as a person and then knowing how to adjust your approach to reach them if there's a breakdown of communication in the relationship. And I don't mean to say that other coaches don't have that relationship with their players, but I feel like so much of the way that professional sports, the way that they talk about and treat athletes is, and we've talked about this before, but you're really treating them as a commodity or like as a resource that you're trying to extract the most value from before you move on from it. And I feel like it must be pretty refreshing to have a coach who really seems to invest in you as a person, right? And like want to get to know you outside of just what you can do for the team or what you can do on the ice. And I don't know, I feel like that is another, probably another reason why he's had so much staying power with the team is that he has those deep relationships with people. I think that Sully's relationship with the team is kind of one of the main parts of what makes him a good coach. The way that, as you said, you know, he really tries to understand every player uh, you know, all the Mark Donks, all the Buzz Flibbits. He, I think he is good at treating them, you know, the same as his stars. And I think that's kind of where that mentality that I think the the pens are embodying right now comes from. You know, the just group of nerds, chess playing, bunch of dweebs on the plane kind of thing. I feel like a lot of that is, you know, just 
the way that they can see themselves through how Sully treats them. And yeah, I think it makes them fun to watch. It makes their play fun to watch. It it makes their chemistry fun to watch. And I really hope we get to keep Mike Sullivan for longer because I love him. I want him to be my life coach. I don't know. <laughs> do we want to talk about Sully and the fandom? Yeah. What Do you, do you have thoughts? Oh, I didn't think this far before. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, the thought was, I think it's interesting to look at all the kind of side characters of fandom, by which I mean the people who are not players, but who are, you know, family, friends, staff, etc. And the way that they are incorporated or not incorporated in uh, transformative works, the way that they are sometimes very much on the periphery of fandom's perception of their team and sometimes they're very central and I think that Sully in my perception has been a person that has become more central in kind of how the team is talked about and how the team is perceived on a fandom scale I'm very interested in that and and kind of seeing how that characterization builds and develops as we see more people talking about him and writing about him and um I think that especially like the coach, you know, as a role, um, as kind of almost like an archetype versus Sully's uh, perceived personality is something that I really like getting into. I have a hot take. Oh. And that hot take is, I think for Sid Genofix specifically, or any penguin ship that does not involve the coach, I think Dan Bilesma makes a more interesting side character than Mike Sullivan does. And then I will say, if the ship is like Mike Sullivan and Sidney Crosby as the ship, I think obviously like the coach Sidney Crosby as the ship, I think Mike Sullivan is the more interesting choice. And I will say that because I don't think Sully makes for a good antagonizing force at all. You know, like some, like again, like my... Right. My overwhelming perception of Bilesma is someone who has only consumed Penguins hockey of his era through like fan works because I wasn't a fan yet, is that he did a great job of like driving Sid and Gino closer together because they were fed up with him and they did not work well with him and they did not like his coaching style. And with Sully, I think even if you do like get bare minimum antagonism between like him and Gino over the whole Phil situation and also over Gino's wanting more minutes that's more of an internal conflict of like Gino not living up to his expectations for himself and to his potential right so it's not really a Sully problem it's a Gino problem and I don't think Sully creates uh that kind of narrative issue for the couple to kind of work around unless he is part of the ship in which case yeah, all of his secretive meetings with Sidney Crosby that happened behind <laughs> closed doors are very interesting, you know? So I think it's just it's just not as dramatic to have Sid and Gino like sit around the house and be like, Sully's so great. Oh yeah, he's so great. Did you see that drill? Oh, I love Sully. He's amazing. He validated my emotions so well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I, think I would be we, interested. I haven't seen a lot of him in fan works, I think, because he hasn't been an issue to talk about and he hasn't really had a lot of fix written about him there have been a few but i think that as like an antagonizing force as some of our older coaches have been he does not fit the bill 
I totally agree, Beck. I'd love to see him as more of like a, a developed side character, though, in kind of the way I know we're going to talk about side characters in a future episode, but like in more of the way that I would love to see Jen as like a more fully articulated side character. Because I think one thing, you know, I love fanfic, obviously, but one thing I think fanfic can get very focused on the main ship, but I think some of my favorite fics are ones that really delve into the relationships with other people around them, which are not always antagonistic relationships. But I would love to see more of Soli as a character who's integral to the story in some way, not necessarily as the antagonist. I would like that too. I think, you know, any good fic is going to have really interesting side characters. And I think just because of the longevity of some of the people who have been with the Penguins organization, there is so much room for it. I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about this with Chris. Uh, in our other episode about like the fact that he's been so overlooked in fan works despite being part of the core that we hype up so much so yeah i think you know it's difficult because of course i think with fan works usually the the driving impetus is like the ship so all of the emotional energy and like loving detail gets sucked up by that but it would you know it it would be nice to write something where you know i kind of gave more more than just lip service to like these stories that are also very interesting and would also prop up a main story even better if they were lovingly dealt with. Um, any closing thoughts on Mike Sullivan? <laughs> I think we need more kit thoughts. Uh, well, you know, like all of your thoughts are like, oh, I love his his take on the the neuroscience of teaching and like here's the history of coaches. Uh, <laughs> Of the pens. And I'm like, I like his voice. <laughs> it's very nice. I like, like his, his Boston voice. accent that the team is mocking behind his back. <laughs> exactly. No, he's he has a great voice and the team agrees with me. You know, like uh, that thing Jake Gensel recently said about how like he always like players are just attracted to his voice and he always has the right thing to say. And he gives them like <laughs> a new word of the day that they have to puzzle out. <laughs> I just love that image so much. Like <laughs> slowly using okay, so like this is kind of a tangent, but it's related to the the word of the day thing. But like one of the kind of um aspects of like deliberate practice, which is like the coaching methodology part of that methodology that he uses one of the things is that you're always putting people in what's called the zone of proximal development so it's like everybody has their comfort zone of skills that they can perform with no like you know with no extra effort or whatever it's easily comes easily to them and then the zone of proximal development is like pushing them just outside of their comfort zone that they have to stretch and struggle a little bit but not so far that it's like too far and they can't do the thing right and so that's how like incremental improvement happens or learning happens um, but I love to imagine that that's what he's doing with the vocabulary words <laughs> that he's like, OK, OK, I can't you know, I can't like I can't give them a college education, you know, just like right now. But each day I can push their vocabulary just a tiny bit by giving them a word that's just harder. <laughs> Something that I deeply love about the Mike Sullivan like fan lore is just as long running joke of the school for hockey players who can't read good. And how Mike Sullivan is running that school and Cindy Crosby is his star pupil. But I would love to know if if either of you could choose any player in the league to enroll in the Mike Sullivan Life Improvement Program, who would you pick? Who needs that? I think it's it's I think the case is that almost all of them need it. So I would rather enroll someone who could, you know, like be an example for the other students. And I'm going to 
and roll Kale McCarr, who I think... <laughs> Kale McCarr is already, like, Actually, emotionally McSullivan student, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't, like, didn't he just, like... He throws in words like, you know, lackadaisical and something like, like, you know, like along those lines. And he, he reads, we know he reads books in his spare time. Um, so I think he could be like a really good kind of like just student that you put in the classroom to have like the other students, um, kind of <laughs> get used to the idea of like, oh, you can be good at this <laughs> and play hockey. Wow. I would love to, I'm trying to think about who. Maybe this isn't literacy specific, but just who I would like Mike Sullivan to be a life coach for is like. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Oh. I didn't mean my question. I should have rephrased that. I didn't necessarily mean the question in the way of like who who needs to read. I meant like what player needs like the player rehab that Mike Sullivan could give them. Yeah, I mean, I think like if you took like a really ground down like player, like they would flourish. Like for instance, like I don't know how TK is doing this season, but I think TK under Mike Sullivan's tutelage would be just like he would just thrive in that environment. So once again, I am making a pitch for drafting TK or trading TK to the Pens. Um, I don't want him on the Pens, but I think, um. It might be, it might be, um, God, I forgot his name. Oh my God. Describe him for us. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's like the best hockey player in the world right Connor now. Connor McDavid? <laughs> and that says a lot about him that I literally <laughs> forgot his name. Gets like that oh guy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know that I one. Like, like, Connor McWho? <laughs> Oh my god, this is you have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I have no yeah. promises. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Please. Oh my god, that's so embarrassing. Well, I was just gonna say Connor <laughs> McDavid. It might be his last chance at rehabilitation. So I it's not the player I want, but it's the player, you know, it's the coach he needs. So <laughs> what in this fantasy world what is going to happen if Connor McDavid comes to the Penguins? Because that was my answer too. I was going to choose either Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon. Now I don't really want either. I of them also the thought Nate Mac, but like I think like from what I know of them mentally, which is I've only gotten through like fandom osmosis. I think they need it, you know. <laughs> so I, I agree, and I want I want your vision for like Connor McDavid gets sent to the Mike Sullivan rehabilitation program what what happens so i think once sully has kind of earned his trust you know like hand feeding him oats whatever like little sugar cubes i don't know i think just from you know what i've read of mcdavid in interviews and stuff just kind of taking the intensity away a little bit and i think he would thrive in an environment where he's not the star player you know he's not connor mcdavid and I know his name. I've always known his name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's not Connor McDavid. He's he's just some Mark Donk, you know, the way that like all penguins are Mark, Mark Donks, essentially. Yeah, I think he would thrive Sydney, in that environment. Mike Crosby, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Markest of Donks, Sydney Mike Crosby. Um, I think that would allow him to kind of like go back to, you know, his hockey roots, which is also something that Mike Sullivan likes to do, you know, like just play, just play. Don't, don't think about like, you have to get the cup or you will be a black mark on Canada's 
hockey history forever. Just go back to playing. And I think that that could potentially save him. That's a compelling case. And the same for Nate Mack, except that now he has his cup. So I feel like some of the pressure is away there. But he still says that his his guilty pleasure is sweet potato. So I think he might just be lost. That's a man. (laughs) 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 He might be beyond even what Mike Sullivan can heal. (laughs) Nate Mack interests me because I don't know that being on a team with Sidney Crosby would fix him. Because I feel like if Sidney Crosby could fix him, all of their offseason training make it worse. would have worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think Sid is making Nate worse. Sid's been trying to reparent Nate since they met. And, and I don't think it, it's working. It hasn't happened. No, it's not. And, you know, I just don't know if that's going to give him the results he wants. And I, I don't, I'm curious, too, about, like, a hypothetical world where, like, Connor McDavid plays from the Penguins. And, like, that doesn't radically shift everything about the hockey world. But from, again, the rumors I've heard is that he's, like, not the best captain. And I'm so curious as if to that's, you know, like, I'm sure there's some, like, grain of truth to it. But, like, he's he's not getting the Sidney Crosby treatment. And I think part of that is the fact that he has not had the young success that Sid has. I mean, he's a phenomenal player and he's, you know, racking up individual rewards like no one's business. But um, he doesn't have the cup, which is, like, the issue, right? And, like, Sid got the cup pretty young, 21. And the fact that McDavid hasn't, I think, is probably going to be a perpetual thorn in his side, just like it had been for Nate Mack. And I don't know if he can, like, come to the Penguins and be humble enough to accept direction, because according to everyone in the hockey world, he has already surpassed Sid as, like, the best player in the world. I mean, Nate Mack as well. People have said that, like, yeah, you know, Sid's still, like, top five or ten, but he's not number one anymore. And I don't know if Connor has been attended to emotionally or mentally in a way that's going to really make him work on a team where Sid's whole shtick is, like, his humble, humble pie attitude, which has not always been the case. Again, like, he was a little brat at 18 but he got knocked around by guys older than him and he sucked it up because the whole media was looking at him and calling him a little whiny baby and like mcdavid again has not wholly gotten the same treatment even though he has gotten plenty of media scrutiny but like i don't know it's just like if there was an alternate world where i could just watch that simulation run out i would be so curious yeah i'm fascinated too because like you guys both pick superstar players but like i don't know to me like i think obviously he works really well with gino and sid but like i kind of think the people that he could have the greatest impact on are the like kind of middle of the road players who could make a huge jump you know what i mean or like a player who's really ground down who everyone thinks is a bust like to me that's where like mike sullivan thrives you know <laughs> turning a mark donk-esque player into like a really reliable good confident player I agree. And I think something, too, that I did not take into consideration when I gave my answers as Nate Mack and Nate Mack and, oh, no, I'm forgetting his name, Connor McDavid. Oh, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> You're infectious, Kit. Look out. It's the most forgettable name. I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to all our listeners out there who are called Connor McDavid. Like, it, this is not I don't think we have personal. any Oilers fans at this point. They've already canceled us. We're over. But I think, too, is like, With Sully, we've seen him go up against guys with big egos. And, like, historically, the guys have left. You know, he's gotten them out of the room. Gino was able to, like, come to Sully and be like, I want my minutes. Sully said no. 
and Gino was angry with him and fought with him over it, but they reconciled it. And that's been like a Yeah, because like what was Gino swallowing do? it? Like was he gonna make Sid choose between his hockey soulmate and his coaching soulmate? Like, no, he's not gonna put him in that position. <laughs> right. And like but then you get like the other guys that had big egos and had big personalities that Sully did not jive with, and they left the team. They were traded, even though on in some of those cases, our GM very much did not want to trade those players. But he did because he knew it was a choice. So, like, there's a valid potential that, like, Mike Sullivan cannot fix a superstar hockey player who has, you know, issues that are not fixable by the Sidney Crosby style rote work. You know, if it's an ego issue, if it's an emotional issue, if it's how you relate to your team, if it's how you handle stardom, I don't know if Sully is equipped to fix that. He could try, and I think he'd give it a valiant attempt. But we've seen him go up with guys with big egos before, and it has not worked out in those guys' favor, and they have not stayed on the team for very long. To me, McDavid just doesn't seem like a big ego player. He just seems kind of, like, depressed. So I do actually think that it would be good for him to kind of, like, be treated as a Mark Donk. Not that he is one, you know, but that he could kind of, like, become just a team player again like instead of like the superstar so I think like he's kind of maybe the exception but with Nate Mac I I don't know if he would necessarily thrive under uh Sully if, if he can't thrive with Sid I don't know which like he has like he's done very well they're very happy you know working out in Sid's garage instead of Nate's but you know Nate's still feisty and he still derives pleasure from sweet potatoes and <laughs> And a decade of friendship with Sid. Guilty has not pleasure, that. please. <laughs> he feels ashamed about it. He's gonna he's gonna look at the framed picture of Landeskog in Sid's basement and oh get God. angry because it's not that's him. Gonna, he's like, that's that should gonna be me. Some, that's gonna do some insane psychosexual things to him, just seeing <laughs> Landeskog in Sid's garage. <laughs> okay, we gotta wrap it up, but great conversation about Solier. I love him. He is like a lesser version of the Sidney Crosby effect on me where he makes me want to be a better person, you know, like work harder, like be more disciplined, whatever. But I, I really think like he would, him. He would much more successfully be that for me. Like, I think Sid is cool or whatever, but like, Sully <laughs> feels so like casual. a teacher. He's cool or whatever. <laughs> no, like, he, like he, I put Sid in a jar. Like, that's, that's, like, that's you know, my ideal yeah. Sid. <laughs> my ideal Sid is the one in the jar, but Sully, I'm like, I would take a class under his tutelage and like I think it would result in good results whereas I personally don't really want Sid to teach me anything because I don't think he's like the best teacher because he's so naturally good at stuff and I think I'd just be scared and intimidated oh, I, I think, think he's I'd so good let's have a second episode where we talk about Sidney Crosby's pedagogy <laughs> just the way they talk about him like I don't know I think he'd be I would I would definitely learn something from Sidney Crosby I think well I think that's the thing where you learn by observing you don't learn by being taught by him I feel like my my kind of like style, my work ethic would jive much more with Gino's. Like we're kind of the same. <laughs> we're like we're off the clock. I'm working exactly as much as I'm being paid for. Uh, the buzzer's just gone, so uh, I'm not gonna get in a fight. And I know what I'm worth. <laughs> I'm not. I know what I'm worth. I will pretend to check out the free market. And uh, yeah, please send me your contract when you're ready. Like I feel like Gino and I would get on much more like we're much more closely aligned so that's who i'm trying to model myself after you're you're gonna join gino's union on the penguins exactly (laughs) the lorbos of the world unite and i think that's it for today
If you'd like to react to the episode or write in with questions or topics for us to discuss, you can reach us at goodwoodpod on Tumblr or goodwoodpod at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you.